Welcome to Made in India SLP podcast with your hosts Kinari and Rabab. Welcome back to another episode of Made in India SLP. Today we have Dr. Anusha Sundararajan, an experienced clinician, professor and researcher in the field of voice. So Rabab, why don't you go ahead and introduce Dr. Sundararajan? Dr. Anusha Sundararajan is an assistant professor in the Speech, Language, and Hearing Sciences program at San Francisco State University. She received her bachelor's from Sri Ramchandra University in Chennai, which is in India, master's from Manipal University from India, and PhD from Purdue University. Her expertise lies in the areas of voice and voice disorders, especially in professional voice users such as teachers. She co-supervises the on-campus gender-affirming voice clinic and teaches the graduate-level seminar on voice and resonance disorders. Anusha is also the director of the Find Your Voice Research Lab at San Francisco State University. Her research interests are threefold. One is to focus on understanding the voice problems in university teachers, Second, to examine the effects of COVID-19 on the psychological and emotional well-being in transgender and non-conforming individuals. And third, to examine the use of conversation training therapy in voice and communication training in trans women. She has published many scientific papers in national and international journals, has been a part of training programs and conferences at regional as well as national levels. She's the secretary of the Asian Indian Caucus of the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association, which is, as we know, ASHA. Uh, thank you, Rabab and Kinnari, for the wonderful introduction. I'm so glad that I am here today. Uh, this has been uh, pending for long, and it is my absolute pleasure to be part of this podcast series. Uh, I know that focuses on bringing the global SLP Indian community together. So uh, once again, thank you so much for um, having me today. We are thrilled to have you on our show today, Dr. Sundarajan. We had a really great time talking with you and making a list of different topics we could target on our show today. So um, Rabab and I will try our best to fit them all in. So as you know, um, and as we all know that India is blessed with a different range of uh, weather conditions. The southern part is more humid than the northern part. And as a researcher, you have been a part of some research projects that have looked at vocal loading and humidity effects in older adults. So can you share some of your research findings, some takeaways, especially for the practicing clinicians? Oh, absolutely. Uh, before we kind of dive into this research project, uh, I would like to sort of talk a little bit about the terminology of vocal loading. So um, a vocal loading is a concept which is uh, defined uh, by a combination of prolonged voice use and some additional loading factors. And these additional loading factors could generally be like, you know, background noise, some acoustic parameters, air quality. Um, and overall, what happens is that they affect the pitch. So the perceptual correlate is the pitch, whereas the physical correlate is the fundamental frequency. So um, uh, that's one of the uh, things that gets affected. And then you have uh, how loud your phonation could be. That's one of the uh, parameters that gets affected, the type of phonation or the phonetic pattern. 
And of course, when you look at the vibratory, vibratory characteristics of the vocal folds. So overall, what happens is this uh, particular term um, affects the vocal folds or the characteristic of the vocal folds and also the external frame of the larynx. Um, what we have seen, and um, I uh, would uh, uh, sort of take a moment and understand what the different humidities are uh, in general uh, life or in day-to-day -day life. So uh, for instance, when we um, look at how, uh, what kind of humidity level are we breathing in, we are exposed to a variety of humidities, right? So it's all fluctuating in the environment. Um, so uh, this uh, environmental humidity also affects how we produce voice or how we speak uh, in, in our day-to-day -day basis. Um, we have noticed, and there's been a lot of research in the lab that I worked in at Purdue, that when you uh, sort of decrease this humidity, so when you're breathing uh, uh, humid or low humidity air, what happens is that that uh, the decrease of humidity affects the vocal folds in a very negative way. And how that affects it, it makes our vocal folds very stiff. Now, typically you want our vocal folds to move, you know, very, you know, smoothly, right? Like without any hindrances. But this uh, decrease in humidity affects and makes the vocal folds very, very stiff as compared to uh, when someone is inhaling humid air. So we are trying to compare low versus uh, high humidity air quality. Now, with these changes, what really happens is that we uh, want our vibration or vibration of the vocal folds to not get affected, but unfortunately, it does get affected, right? And how it basically gets affected is that when we have to sustain that vocal fold vibration, when we have to sustain that nice movement, uh, the, the pressure that's required to just push those vocal folds apart is much higher or it's significantly larger. Okay, so those are like, you know, the kind of um, problems that low humidity, humid air causes. Um, so in our, uh, in my research and in the research in, in uh, Dr. Preeti Shivashankar's lab at Purdue University, what we found is that there have been some um, um, good things about how hydration can, you know, um, help us. And how it helps us is that by increasing those hydration or by increasing the water intake, it helps us in decreasing those, you know, ill effects or those adverse effects on the vocal folds. So we talked a little bit about vocal loading. We talked a little bit about humidity. Now, in my uh, research, I try to uh, kind of in, uh, understand the interaction of these parameters and apply that in the older population. So uh, you also might be wondering, like, why old people, right? Uh, why uh, old people is because as we age, the, uh, the system is also changing and system is also aging. Um, and specifically when I mean by the system, it's the laryngeal and the respiratory system. So the vocal apparatus and the respiratory apparatus is changing as we advance, uh, as the age advances. So um, there have been studies that, uh, that have uh, uh, looked at what these changes could be and specifically what the laryngeal changes are. So uh, what really happens uh, with the vocal folds is that it loses a lot of the fat pad, it becomes atrophied, uh, uh, or the wastage of the muscle happens and, you know, the, the bulk of the vocal fold starts losing as someone is aging. So those are the main uh, uh, or the big changes as uh, which undergo into the laryngeal system. 
Um, and one of the things that happens with aging is that we uh, also uh, uh, have to understand that as someone is aging, the aging larynx is also susceptible to a lot of different factors. In fact, it is more susceptible or more prone to some adversities, right? So one takeaway from my research is humidify, humidification, okay? So humidification is has been found to be really, really beneficial for our uh, uh, population. And specifically in, um, uh, in the older adults population, we can definitely advise them to get like you know, buy humidifiers uh, uh, and place it in the home, in your bedroom, in your living room. Uh, and these are so practical and cost effective that they can just be used in avoiding, you know, the everyday dehydrating conditions uh, that we are all exposed to. Uh, some of the older adults have also reported that uh, they predominantly use their mouth to breathe or they are exposed to some uh, low humidity environments. So we have noticed that the humidification is a very good tool. Uh, it's, uh, it's commonly used in a lot of individuals and it is uh, uh, practically adopted by the voice clinicians to reduce and uh, prevent the drying of the vocal folds. Um, thank you, Anusha. Um, it's interesting to learn about how simple techniques like drinking more water and just, mm -hmm. you know, using humidifiers can help the pro like vocal loading um, so much, especially in like professional voice users, such as teachers, as well as in other individuals with voice disorders. So thank you for sharing that. Um, yes. Uh, so the biggest topic that we all talk about at least once a day, COVID-19. Uh, because of COVID-19, we are all adapting um, to get our activities of daily living done, whether it be work, education, or even working out uh, in different ways. Um, there is a massive influx of users on apps like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, so that we can attend classes or even take therapy sessions for the patients we see. Does this virtual reality have an impact on vocal abuse, especially in a professional voice user, such as a teacher or during, like while teaching while wearing masks? Um, my mom is a teacher and she wears a mask sometimes while teaching when she has to go into school. So are you seeing a trend of increasing or decreasing unhealthy use of voice? Um, Rabab, you bring up a very, very interesting question. And it's, uh, in fact, uh, I'm so glad that we have a platform to talk about and share our thoughts uh, on this topic. So um, you might also notice that, you know, prior to the pandemic, uh, teachers sort of made up the most of most of the caseload in um, a lot of these voice centers, right? Now, uh, teachers are also um, likely to have a voice problem as compared to any other profession, um, be it, you know, other uh, 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 users uh, who also use their voice, but teachers significantly have reported to have um, uh, a voice problem and they are uh, in, a, in a high risk uh, a situation for voice disorders or voice problems. Some of the common symptoms that they report is, you know, they experience a raspy voice or a hoarse voice, a vocal strain or vocal effort. Uh, some also, some teachers have also reported a weak voice at the end of the day or vocal fatigue, which is tiredness with voice use. 
Now, uh, I know this is this topic is very interesting to me because I am also invested in researching that in our university, which is San Francisco State University. Uh, and I uh, am beginning to think how to compare the online versus virtual modality and how the how teachers have um, um, uh, how how teachers are finding uh, the new method of teaching. So uh, I was reading up and I found this a great article, uh, in, which is actually in press in the Journal of Voice, looking at the psychological stress and vocal symptoms among university professors. And this uh, study uh, was done in Israel. Um, and what they have done is they are trying to compare um, the uh, online uh, um, modality or online synchronous teaching to how it was prior to the pandemic. And uh, what they did is that they actually circulated an online questionnaire and that was circulated to 313 professors in Israel. And uh, I would not go into the details of this uh, study, but one thing that I really uh, uh, wanted, one thing that I wanted to point out is that uh, the participants actually reported a higher level of psychological stress, but not the vocal symptoms. So uh, it, we can sort of think that, you know, the psychological stress and the vocal symptoms are sort of correlated, right? They have to have some sort of an association. And it is very important to examine uh, how uh, the individual is performing or feeling as a whole, as compared to like, you know, teasing apart some specific symptoms. Um, and, uh, uh, I want to kind of highlight uh, that there are ongoing studies that are uh, happening uh, in the world. And um, this topic, since we are still in the pandemic and the pandemic, you know, um, um, so there's just going to be a long term sort of like an effect that needs to be investigated. Uh, but in the same lines, I also wanted to kind of like, you know, point out that uh, there has been um, uh, studies that are looking at the trends of uh, the use of voice. And right now, like with this one study that we looked at um, or that I shared, we're looking at some sort of like a correlation between how the person is feeling psychologically and the vocal symptoms that the person is reporting. When we look at how we, teachers are teaching in person wearing the masks, there are certain things that come to my mind. And uh, I think it is crucial for us to uh, figure out uh, or give suggestions to teachers in terms of what type of mask they are using. So uh, uh, we notice that they have, there's a decrease in loud, loudness or when the uh, teacher is trying to project uh, his or her voice. The they are not as loud uh, as they were with, uh, as someone who is not wearing the mask, right? So, uh, and the decrease or the difference in that decibel is close to five to seven dB. So, it is important for us to remember that the teachers who are teaching in person need to maintain a healthy voice. So making sure that they are exaggerating their articulation. So they're opening their mouth wide and enunciating each and every sound. They are able to speak slowly and pause frequently so that they're able to take different uh, take breaths in between. Um, it is also important that they project their voice and drink water uh, frequently as much as possible, like taking a sip or two. Um, I al always advise our student clinicians to uh, tell your 
patients not to gulp like you know a lot of water at once because that's not like you know um effective taking taking smaller sips and you know taking it more frequently uh, is more effective uh it's also important to uh, tell our teachers to take uh, something called vocal naps so what that means is you are incorporating certain breaks uh, every time that you're engaging into into some teaching activities so for example if you teach for an hour long class uh, make sure that you're napping or taking a break uh, at like the 30 minute juncture um additionally we also want to encourage our teachers to not whisper um uh, Uh, because that's not really going to be effective in uh, vocal projection and uh, they're not taking care of their voice in a, the most healthy way so uh, these are certain things that i would keep in mind and um um encourage our uh, clinicians to uh, tell their you know loved ones or their their mothers or their fathers or teachers or just educate the society in general Thank you so much for sharing such wonderful tips, especially um, this research pertaining to the psychological stress surrounding the transitioning from like um, just like real like in person classes to the whole online mode of teaching. I'm sure like a lot of a lot of our um, listeners have patients who can relate to this. So um coming to a little bit about aging um as we get older there are obviously like we we all know that there are changes that occur in the upper aerodigestive tract causing changes in a person's voice like we uh, speech pathologists and in the medical world um term this as presbyphonia usually before resorting to any invasive treatment options uh, doctors refer their patients to like go and try out voice therapy so as a researcher can you comment a little bit about the perceptual and the acoustic aerodynamic measures that you've been focusing on in research or that you have come across um sure uh, kinari yeah that's that's the wonderful uh, wonderful question um so um it it also i would like to remind that it varies from you know um uh clinician to clinician setting to setting and researcher to researcher and research lab and this is research lab so there's just a lot of uh, um measures out there and uh, uh i always believe in having um a variety of tests or uh, measures uh done so i typically focus on a combination of uh different voice measures such as the acoustic aerodynamic and self reported measures so uh in in my uh, 2017 published paper so we basically looked at individuals above 65 years and what they did is that they uh, were required to talk uh, for about 45 minutes um on two days uh, and these two days were uh, uh the data was collected because we wanted to switch the humidities so uh, on one day the ambient humidity was sort of adjusted to a low humidity and the second day the humidity was adjusted to moderate to high levels um and some of the voice measures that we collected uh, uh looked at the acoustic measure, measures and there's a lot of literature uh, and evidence on using the capsule peak prominence or the cpp 
and uh, it has also been seen that uh, it is sensitive to uh, subtle laryngeal changes. Um, and I'll go a little bit into uh, what capsule peak prominence is. So when we uh, look at a typical um, um, spectrum of an acoustic signal, we are basically trying to uh, um, extract the uh, fundamental frequency that I talked a little bit earlier about uh, from the spectrum. So what it really does is that there are more refined or more prominent peaks called capsule peaks. Uh, and in uh, persons who have uh, a dysphonic voice, the, the capsule peak prominence is supposed to be either lower. Um, uh, so the amplitude of the capsule peak becomes a little bit lower uh, or decrease. And uh, when we look at some other measures like low to high spectral ratio, uh, this ratio is particularly interesting is because uh, it uh, contributes to uh, identifying the severity of dysphonia uh, in individuals. And mostly, you know, when you look or when you hear a normal or a typical voice, right, uh, what really happens is when we have to determine the pitch uh, in that voice, uh, the, uh, the energy is sort of very, 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 very close to where the fundamental frequency is. So it's sort of like centered close to the fundamental frequency. Uh, and then when we have to obtain a spectral ratio, the spectrum is sort of divided into a parameter or a region which is high frequency and a, a, a region which is low frequency. And we basically take a ratio of it. Um, in a normal or a typical voice uh, sample or a signal, usually our voices are characterized by a much high, low to high ratio. Now, you might be wondering, you know, the CPP, LHR, like uh, how is it applicable to, you know, uh, a clinical setting? Uh, this is easily obtained by uh, um, softwares like Prat. Uh, there is uh, another software called ADSV, which is, uh, which, which is what I have used in the past. Uh, and I still use it. Um, and these parameters, uh, these um, uh, softwares are really nice because they, we just have to record the data on that and they automatically give you the capsule peak prominence and the low to high uh, spectral ratio. So those two parameters or those two measures are popularly used. The other, um, the aerodynamic measure that I have used in my research is called the phonation threshold pressure. Now um, you might, uh, have heard me talking about the pressure in a vocal loading uh, sort of perspective. So um, the phonation threshold pressure is an aerodynamic pressure and we typically uh, collect that data using um, a pneumotachograph. And uh, this is giving us a very, very critical information about how much of the pressure is required to vibrate our vocal folds or what is that minimum pressure that is required to vibrate our vocal folds. Um, and uh, there's also been um, other measures such as the um, measure of phonatory effort and tiredness. Um, and these measures, that is the self-perceived measures, really give a lot of information. And even in my study, we found that our um, you know, older adults were able to rate the phonatory effort uh, and tiredness uh, quite effectively. And that was one of the significant measures that changed um, when the humidity conditions were also changed. Um, uh, so I uh, uh, have used like a combination of all these measures in my research. Uh, and um, as a clinician um, in my clinic, I uh, 
uh, encourage the graduate students to learn uh, the different tools. Uh, one of the main softwares that I use is Prat because it is free uh, and the students are able to download that. Uh, and we do uh, uh, the entire range of um, voice measures, we collect different tasks, uh, and they are taught how to analyze these um, measurements. Um, so that is sort of like how I have uh, done uh, in the past, and I'm right now also collecting some data in my research lab now at San Francisco State. Uh, that is great information, Anusha. Thank you so much. It's interesting to see how um, self-perceived measures of phonetry effort and aer aerodynamic measures, all of that changes based on so many variables. So thank you for sharing that information. Um, I'm going to talk about a topic now that is um, very dear and that Anusha and I are passionate about. Um, voice training from SLPs can be a key in aiding transgender and other gender non-binary individuals to develop a more authentic voice. The treatment goes beyond voice, encompassing so many different aspects of communication, uh, which includes a lot of non-verbal communication as well. Transgender clients are not very common uh, to have on one's caseload, um, moreover, very uncommon in India as well. But there is a growing demand for our clinical services in this niche population. Uh, Anusha, can you please share some pointers with our listeners who are planning to provide services or work with the special population? Um, sure, Abhav. And, and as you said earlier, I think this is a very uh, dear uh, topic uh, to me too. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll start off by giving just a little bit of a background as to how I uh, got interested in this field. So um, I, uh, coming from um, aging voice research and moving to the Bay Area, um, I got invested and sort of like drawn towards this uh, 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 niche population when I started my position at San Francisco State. So uh, I was charged to start a, a voice clinic and uh, considering my specialty in voice and its disorders. Um, and the focus had to be transgender and non-conforming individuals. So when it all started, it was so fresh and new to me because uh, I had not done any literature review uh, hadn't studied anything about it. So I felt very, uh, I felt as an amateur, to be really honest. Uh, and uh, even now when someone talks to me about it, I always say that I'm still learning because there's just so much uh, new things. There's just new podcasts, new people that I meet, uh, new perspectives that I uh, learn. So uh, when this all started and when everything materialized, uh, we started this clinic in the university for three graduate clinicians. Uh, and uh, one of the main things that I always uh, say and talk about is, you know, imagine if you ever felt that, you know, your voice did not align to your gender identity. Um, that, that, that statement itself is so powerful because you know, you can feel uneasy. Uh, we also are considering uh, how people perceive us, right? Uh, how do, uh, how does uh, uh, the feminine voice sound or how does the uh, masculine voice sound? And these are the things that uh, 
people don't really talk about. They are always sort of like hush hush, <laughs> uh, and uh, and even in uh, in in India, I actually haven't spoken to anyone who uh, has worked uh, or is working in with this population in India. But uh, uh, even educating someone who is in India, and when we say that I work with this population, it's sort of hard. Uh, and I always am in a very difficult sort of a situation. Um, it's mostly me sort of even educating uh, what that means and uh, what my work is all about. So uh, I put, I always think about myself first and I always think about the folks who identify themselves as transgender and non-binary people. Imagine having been misgendered uh, on on the based on the way they speak, uh, I'm sure they would have had such traumatic experiences. So uh, this was how I sort of uh, thought about it. Started uh, the the whole practice and clinic that um, someone who uh, you know has been misgendered or um, uh, uh, is still sort of like. Um, identifying how their voice should be, uh, there should be some way or a platform for them to speak up uh, uh, and they should feel safe. So I designed this clinic uh, to make sure that our participants identify and speak with a voice that they believe in and that matches their gender expression. So I always say this to my participants that, you know, we in, in the clinic are trying to provide a non-judgmental space to you guys so that, you know, you can find a voice that define who you are. And we want to create an open environment to all our participants. So when this all started, uh, I had uh, uh, just about, you know, uh, three or four participants. But that, uh, and that was only offered for the students in the San Francisco State Campus. Um, and then it gained so much of popularity in the coming semesters and coming years that now we have uh, a long wait list for our clinic. So it's just generated so much of media attention. Um, being in San Francisco has sort of like helped the clinic uh, uh, stand where it is right now. So um, it is very important to keep in mind who you are working with what issues they are, and what are their goals? Uh, what would they like to do in the clinic? What would they like to do with their voice? So uh, it is important that we educate ourselves not to take someone uh, granted. It is because we are trying to educate them um, and help them uh, find or speak at a voice or a pitch that really represents their gender. And uh, it is important that we also look at uh, the whole package. And I always do that for my um, uh, research too, because I always tell my lab students that you, know, you have to look uh, at as a, a combination of different measures. And it, here we're looking at a combination of different things in a person. So we're looking at uh, resonance, we're looking at pitch, we're looking at intonation, we're looking at language, body language. So it's, it's literally like looking at the whole, whole package. And when we look at communication, right, like the whole idea of communicating with someone uh, is that you're communicating uh, as a whole, right? You're not communicating just with your 
just by modifying your pitch, you are using your entire uh, system to communicate effectively. So uh, it is really important that we remember that our uh, uh, our our participants, that's what we refer uh, uh, to the clients here in our uh, clinic, is to uh, help them visualize what they what they want or what they uh, or where they need to be in take, by taking small small goals. And we work in in these uh, we work on these goals sort of incrementally, so that they are achieving a healthy voice all along the way. Uh, and it's not something that you know they have they are not invested in because we really really want to ask our participants where do you want to be you know we will teach you the techniques to just maintain a healthy voice uh, so that you know you don't develop a pathology and you don't strain your voice you you know you don't come into a situation where you lose your voice so uh, we just want to create uh, or make them feel comfortable and safe and open so that they learn the different techniques in the most uh, healthy way. Thank you, Anusha. And as you said that we want an individual to connect with their voice and not just the sound of their voice, but the way they use it as well, uh, the way you use your body when you're communicating, that is great advice. And as speech language pathologists, it is a part of our job responsibilities to learn how to serve this population. So thank you. And if I may share, um, Anusha and I are currently working on a systematic review that hopefully we'll finish writing someday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, yes, hope on on this uh, community, on the male to female transgender population and voice therapy in them. And hopefully we can share that with everyone soon. Thank you so much for sharing this. Like, I cannot even imagine how it feels to be um, to be called like ma'am or sir on the phone when you don't identify with that gender. Like if somebody calls me sir on the phone, so I can't hear you, I would just like feel, I would, I would be really mad and upset. Like, why are you misgendering me? I just feel like as um, SLPs and I think you and Rabava are doing such great work, especially helping this community out. And as SLPs also, it's just so interesting how we can make like just doing therapy, like regular voice therapy can make such a big difference in this person's life, in this individual's life. It's not just like, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure it like helps with their psychological stress too. Like voice and stress are like so deeply connected. So um, absolutely, Kennedy. Yeah, we have our uh, participants sort of uh, engage in like a peer-to-peer discussion or even like a group discussion at the end of our uh, clinic, wherein we really have a feedback form for them to tell us like what has worked for you today and what has not worked for you today. I think getting that perspective is so crucial because uh, every every session, every day is a little different for them. And if they are finding the tools that we are providing uh, them uh, to be useful um, or not useful, you know, every individual is gonna be different. Um, at least, you know, we have that feedback from them and we can work on that. Uh, uh, it is very, very important to remember who you are working with and uh, and in what situation you're working uh, with them uh, so that you can uh, uh, 
chart your or you know design your treatment plan in the most effective and efficient way right so anusha uh, we are almost ready to wrap up do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners some resources for student clinicians as well as for practicing fellow clinicians to enhance their skill services um sure kinari uh, so one of the things that i would really want to pass on to our student clinicians is to really educate themselves there's just a lot of content out there uh such as different podcasts journal articles news articles and different documentaries and one of the things that i have been doing personally is to really follow uh the the people like you follow the community so like with being you know on instagram or twitter i follow different um um uh, individuals who identify themselves as trans or non conforming um and one of my favorites is uh, uh he is alok menan um yes. yeah uh, and i'm sorry i think i used the proverb differently uh, i think they identify themselves as they so um uh, i think it's very important to really understand the community and i tell the students to learn and listen watch them read about them and and uh, go and check the asha website i think they're just going to have so much of input there and information for the students um and uh, you know just do it yourself like you know try to just do things on your own practice those therapy techniques and try it on your friend your family um and you know and you'll just get better at it uh, instead of you know really uh, getting terrified in, in before a, a therapy uh, session try to have as much practice as you can um so that you know um, you are confident uh, and you stay confident so i think those are things that i always tell the students to um uh, get involved in um get involved in the community network with a lot of people network with your members network with your peers um and go to different conferences so that you can learn the most uh, um uh, you know what's new and what's out there sort of a thing anusha i really like how you advise them or like how you advise everybody to practice the skills on like somebody close to them before practicing out in the real public i think this is so important because um sometimes like sometimes we sometimes there is this mentality that you know we'll just wing it we'll just go in the session and see how it goes and um it is so important to emphasize here that that person is a is somebody who's paying out of pocket or like who is traveling so far away to get to you to get your services and this wing it attitude may not always work and so as a clinician we have to be prepared um we need to prepare well in advance before like we do something in the session and especially when it comes to voice therapy like this trial and error may not always work so it's always better to be prepared beforehand yeah exactly and i think the more that you prepare the more skilled you will be so <laughs> that's right well um thank you so much for your time and for being here with us today anusha we've enjoyed this discussion and we are sure our listeners did as well we'll be back soon with a new speaker and an exciting topic stay tuned to our social media to learn more
Thanks for joining us today and we are so grateful for all the support we've received and can't wait to see where this podcast goes. Thank you. See you soon.